Appreciate it. I want to intro this sermon with one of my favorite movies. It's The Patriot. Don't play it yet. Give me just another second. Uh, the Patriot is a movie that takes place during the Revolutionary War. Maybe that's why I like it. Uh, Mel Gibson stars as Benjamin Martin, who leads a militia to repeatedly defeat the British. His character is based on the Swamp Fox. The Swamp Fox was a real man during the Revolutionary War period. And the Swamp Fox knew the terrain so well that he defeated the British repeatedly using his knowledge of the area and his strength as a strength. The knowledge of his area as a strength. Now, in this clip, it's a very short clip, so let me set it up. Uh, Mel Gibson and his character, they have, they have um, taken some of Lord Cornwallis's materials, his possessions. They raided something. They caught a wagon full of stuff, including his dogs, his Great Danes, which was a funny scene later on. But he also got Cornwallis's diary. And he has just finished reading the diary of Cornwallis. And we'll pick up there. So make sure the sound's on, Billy, and I'll just go ahead and play it. Go ahead and send my PowerPoint up at this point. Close out before the next video comes up. <laughs> or just turn off the audio. There we go. So, you know, what we see here is that Cornwallis, in that, according to that movie, pride was the weakness. Pride was the weakness they saw in Cornwallis. And pride is a weakness. Pride is a weakness. And we're going to see that here in just a second. We're in a sermon series on forgotten people from the Old Testament. We've talked about many people over the last few months. We started in Hebrews 12 talking about the Hall of Faith. And then we jumped back to Genesis chapter 4, and we looked at Cain, and we looked at later on Abraham, and then we looked at other people, Isaac, and Rebekah, and Jacob, and Esau, and Samuel, and Saul, and Rehoboam, and we've looked at many people, Abigail, we looked at her as a woman who was very wise, a forgotten, a forgotten life in the Old Testament. And now we come to, and now we come to Uzziah. And my theme today is Uzziah, the leader who fell by pride. And it's from 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to walk through that chapter here in a minute. The leader who fell by pride. And the application is, while you seek the Lord, seek humility. While we seek the Lord, we must seek humility. We must seek humility as well. So we already read the passage here. Steve read the passage. Thank you, Steve. Fabulously read the passage. So let's walk this through. Uzziah becomes king, and we see that in verses 1 through 5. Let's put this in context. As I've stated before, chapters were not in the original Hebrew Bible. So we need to remember that chapter, in this case, chapter 25 flows perfectly to chapter 24. Chapter 25 of Second uh, Chronicles goes right into chapter 24. One thing we should share up front is that Uzziah is translated as Azariah in Second Chronic in Second Kings 14:21. 
In 2 Kings 14.25, Uzziah is translated as Azariah in that passage. Right here, they use the name Uzziah for him. We don't really know why. It could be because the priest later on is also named Azariah, and it would be kind of confusing otherwise. But Uzziah is also written about in 2 Kings chapter 14 and chapter 15. First and second Kings are historical books, as are first and second Chronicles. And sometimes there's similar material in first and second Kings as are in first and second Chronicles. Let me emphasize some of the context right here. And Chuck Swindoll really makes this come alive in his book, uh, Fascinating Stories of Forgotten Lives. He says, Uzziah was born during a tumultuous period in the history of the Hebrew people. 100 years prior to Uzziah's reign, the foolishness of Rehoboam. Remember, we talked about Rehoboam a few weeks ago. The kingdom of Israel was divided because of Rehoboam. The foolishness of Rehoboam had torn the kingdom into two bitter enemies. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. They were a divided kingdom until they were each conquered later on. In the century that followed, the nations routinely warred against one another as progressively evil kings occupied their thrones and dominated their people. Get that. Isn't it amazing? Israel in the north and Judah in the south routinely warred against each other. Israel's kings were all reprobate, violent pagans, while many of the kings in Judah were at least somewhat godly. Notice that, just somewhat godly. But eventually, the violence of the north became commonplace in Judah. Now, what the ESV study Bible shares, which is important, the reigns of Uzziah, the reign of Uzziah included co-regencies with his father, Amaziah, who reigned from 796 to 767 B.C., and his son, Jotham, who reigned from 753, I'm sorry, 750 to 733 B.C., Uzziah's reign also saw the beginning of the prophetic ministry of Isaiah, which we can read about in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, and 6, verse 1. Uzziah is about to be anointed as king over all the people of Judah, not Israel, just Judah in the south. Notice that Uzziah is 16 years old. Think back to when you were 16 years old. Think back to maybe your 16-year-old son or daughter. Now imagine them being anointed king. Imagine your 16-year-old self being anointed king. Now again, it's quite likely that Uzziah was just a co-regent alongside his father, but he is 16 years old. Verse 2 shows that he built a certain city, Eloth, and restored it to Judah. This may be part of his wars, which are talked about later on. What seems to be happening is that under his father's reign, towards the end of his father's reign, the northern kingdom had invaded Judah. And they had destroyed parts of the cities and destroyed parts of the wall. And so now Uzziah is rebuilding sections. It seems that these first few verses are simply summarizing things. In verse 4, the text says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord and further compares him to his father in this way. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And by the way, there's a constant theme through these people of the Old Testament. Many of them started well, but they did not finish well. Uzziah starts well, he does not finish well. His father, Amaziah, started well, he did not finish well. I like this illustration Chuck Swindoll gives. He says, before we continue, allow me to make this personal by asking you a probing question. If your children follow in your steps, will they do what is right in the sight of the Lord? If your children emulate you, and they will, 
will you be able to say that their adult years were God-honoring? Imagine walking over snow-covered ground, a few paces ahead of your child. Each step you take leaves an imprint he or she can clearly see. Now imagine that little person following you, stretching out those short legs to place his or her feet in the footprints you left behind. That's exactly what your children will do in life. In fact, that's what we see Isaiah doing. He made good tracks early on, just like his father. But he made them with a reluctant heart, also like his father. Isaiah succeeds in war. We see that in verses 6 through 15 now. The first instance is war with the Philistines. He broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. Verse 7 is about God's help against the Philistines. Verse 7 mentions other ways that God helped him with war. The Arabians who lived in Gerbeil and the Meunites. Verse 8 mentions the Ammonites too. This now mentions four groups, four people groups that Isaiah defeated in war. The Philistines, the Arabians, the Meunites. The Meunites as well as the Arabians were nomadic groups to the south, the Ammonites. Further, the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah. Uzziah's fame extended to Egypt, and this is the Lord's blessing. It's the Lord's blessing that his fame extended all the way to Egypt. Verse 8 says that he became very strong. He became very strong. Verses 9 through 10 are written about his work in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. He built towers in Jerusalem. Once again, it seems that he is rebuilding the towers that were, that were uh, torn down when the northern kingdom invaded under his father. Verse 10 continues about his building campaigns. He built towers in the wilderness. He dug cisterns. He took care of livestock needs. There's an interesting note about how much he loved livestock. And he also loved the soil. It's an interesting personal note about Uzziah. Verses 11 through 15 are written about his military. By the way, it's very interesting that he had a paid army. Many times back then, it was a volunteer militia. It was his volunteers. They couldn't, Israel was not healthy enough, and Judah was not healthy enough during this whole time to have a paid army. But now, they're healthy enough that Uzziah could have a paid army. And not only a paid army, they could also provide the weapons for them. Most of the time, they could not provide weapons. They had to bring their pitchforks and shovels and whatever else they used for for farming as their weapons. But now they are able to provide all that. In verse 14, we see the supplies. Army, shields, spears, helmets, body army, bows, and sling stones. I have a little note here. The ESV Study Bible shares uh, murals from the siege of Lachish. 701 B.C. showed defenders on the city walls shooting arrows and hurling stones from behind wooden frames on which shields have been hung. And that would be about the time period of Uzziah right here. And we see the weaponry that they provide for the people. They also have engines, these types of war engines, and his fame spread. But then we see Uzziah's downfall in verses 16 through 23. Verse 16 begins with a change of direction. Everything has been good about Uzziah up until this point. But when he became strong... When he became strong, he had pride and arrogance, and we see his downfall. His heart was so proud, and his pride caused him to act corruptly. He was unfaithful, and the writer is going to share how he was unfaithful. He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. 
have certain sources that share, and I'm just going to summarize this, but it seems as though Uzziah wanted to be like the kings of Egypt. The kings of Egypt and other countries, the king was also the high priest. The king was also the religious leader, and the king could do what he wanted. Uzziah wanted to do what he wanted that way. Uzziah wanted to be like Moses, who anointed Aaron and the Levites. Uzziah wanted to be like Solomon and David. Solomon and David would go into the temple and lead certain religious festivities. But Solomon and David never went into the holy place. They never would burn incense. They would offer prayers. Offering prayers was okay. Offering incense was not okay. Going into the temple, into the most holy place of the temple, was not okay. And that's really what was wrong right here. He thought he could do whatever he wants. He thought, I'm the king. I have conquering enemies. I have great possessions. I can do what I want. I don't need the priest to do this. Before we are so critical of him, do we do the same thing? Do we, in a great pride, think we can do what we want? Even sometimes going into the spiritual side? This is a loose application, but we skip church and we even skip with our children. We skip opportunities for devotions and we even skip with our children. We don't only lead ourselves away from the Lord, we even lead our children or grandchildren away from the Lord. And that's very serious ground to be upon. It's pride. I can do what I want. I don't need, we can just worship in our home. Not the same. We need the community of Christians. We need the community. Look at how many times in Psalms, when David longed in Psalm 42, he longed to be with the people worshiping the Lord. We can skip Sunday school or, or small groups or other discipleship opportunities. Maybe you usually have family devotions and you think, oh, we'll just skip. Is that pride? We think we can do what we want when we want, just like Isaiah did. And Isaiah paid the price. We may think, I'm an adult, I worked hard for my money, I can buy this. But do we think and ask if the Lord wants us to buy it? Our money is really the Lord's. Everything is the Lord's. He created everything. Genesis chapters 1 through 2. Everything, including our own bodies, are the Lord's. We may think, I'm an adult. If I want to look at these pictures on the internet, I can. We may think, I'll do what I want with my time. But we are neglecting our children or grandchildren or the church. Pride focuses on ourselves. We must focus on God and on others. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Pride does what we want to do, and pride justifies every sin. Pride makes us lie, cheat, and steal. Pride leads to adultery. Pride makes us think, I deserve this. You, we even justify the adultery in our head. We think, oh, he's already unfaithful to me. He's working all the time. Or he's lusting or whatever. I can do what I want. Pride. You fill in the blank. Pride leads to idols. I deserve this nice car. I deserve this. You fill in the blank. Pride leads to anger. Pride leads to our lies to cover up our sins. Do you realize that? Pride even leads to lies covering up our sins. Satan had pride, and that was his downfall. So when we have, when we have pride, we are in bad company. Bad company. Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 11 and following are written about Satan and his downfall. You can also read about Satan in Revelation 12 and 20 if you want some very happy reading later on. You can read Satan's downfall. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. There is no threat between God and Satan. And when Satan in his pride resisted God, God just threw him down to earth like lightning. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 is written about the devil being the God of this age. 1 John 5, 18 is written about the devil. Think about this. God cannot have pride. It's impossible, impossible for God to have pride. It's not possible. To have pride means to think of yourself higher and greater than you are. To have pride means to think of yourself higher and greater than you are. The Lord God is already the highest and greatest being. It's not possible for him to have pride. Satan had pride. He wanted to take what was God's. Everything already is God's. God cannot have pride. There's no one greater than God. And God knows it is best for us to worship him and humbly bow to him. He knows that we are best when we humbly, sacrificing our pride, come before him and kneel on his throne and worship him. Watch for your pride. Watch for your pride. Getting back to Uzziah, verse 17 tells us how this went down. Uzziah is in the temple. Azariah, the priest, enters. Get this. Azariah enters the temple with 80, 80 priests of the Lord. It's pretty serious. Azariah entered the temple with 80, it says, valiant priests of the Lord. He was willing and ready to do business. He knew that Uzziah had gone beyond his limits, and he was ready to take down Uzziah the king if he had to. By the way, that's another application. Are we ready and willing to stand for truth regardless of the consequences? Azariah the priest was ready to stand for truth regardless of the consequences. He was ready. I mean, Azariah could have gone in. And Uzziah could have rebuked him and said, I'm the king, get out of here. And maybe the other priests of the Lord would have listened to Uzziah, not Azariah. Azariah the priest took the chance. He went in and he stood for truth. Are we ready and willing to stand for truth? In verse 18, they opposed him. And we read the conversation. They said, this burning of incense is for the priests, the sons of Aaron. They are consecrated. Numbers chapter 3 verse 10 says, so you would appoint Aaron and his sons and they will be responsible for their priesthood. But the unauthorized person who comes near must be put to death. That's Numbers 3.10. They order him out of the sanctuary. They tell him he has been unfaithful. They tell him he will have no honor from the Lord. But get this, Uzziah wasn't, willing, wasn't ready to listen. Uzziah was enraged. Great rage. That's part of his pride. How dare you come before me? I'm the king of Israel. I've conquered enemies. I've expanded their borders. My famous spread to Egypt. He was enraged. But then the leprosy broke out. They ordered him out of the sanctuary. Verse 19, Uzziah is enraged. Verse 20, we read that Azariah the chief priest hurried him out of there. You cannot have a leprous person in the sanctuary. They hurry him out. And at this point, even Uzziah recognizes God's judgment is upon him. So even Uzziah quickly leaves the sanctuary. Verse 21 tells us he was a leper until the day of his death. He had to live in a separate house. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. His son Jotham was leading his king. We can read this in 2 Kings 15 as well. I like how Elsie Allen summarizes this up. He says, The royal trilogy of um, back up. The royal trilogy of Joash, Amaziah, and Uzziah, all of whom served the Lord faithfully only during the first part of their reigns, dramatically presents a message to believers to hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Hebrews 3.14. You realize that those three kings all started good and finished poorly. All three of them. We need to obey Hebrews 3.14. Hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. 
The ESV study Bible shares there's a stone plaque which was found in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. It's from the second temple period that bears the inscription. Here, here we're brought the bones of Uzziah, king of Judah. Do not open. It may be that the king's bones were moved to the Mount of Olives many centuries after his death. But get this, they say, do not open. You can't go near leprosy, even after death. Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, I mentioned before, he did, that I played in the 3rd Marine Division Band. Something I learned as a musician is that the most important notes you play are often those in the last few bars of the piece. You can recover from a rough beginning. You still have time to settle down and find yourself in the middle. But there's nothing to follow those last notes except silence. The quality of those final notes on the final page of the finale will usually be the ones that shape the audience's memory of your performance. Without question, Uzziah started well. The majority of his career provided a godly, safe, prosperous environment for God's people. But the final notes of his performance spoiled the whole concert. Observe what his audience remembered. So Uzziah slept with his fathers. And they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. Because he was a leper, he lived out the rest of his days all alone. Think of it. When he died... They buried him in a field adjacent to the royal cemetery. Not within the royal cemetery, adjacent to it. Because he was still considered unclean. They didn't mark his gravestone with, he was a king. They didn't even say, he was a king who became a leper. By the end, his greatness was forgotten. They wrote what they remembered. He was a leper. When he finally accepted his status as a nobody... He took his place alongside the rest of humanity. Then and only then was he prepared to meet the real somebody, Jesus. Swindoll says, my hope is that Uzziah, quarantined from society at large and permanently barred from public service, allowed the Lord to make him somebody worth emulating. It's quite possible. After a long, it's quite possible after a long string of outright evil kings and good kings gone bad, Uzziah's son Jotham became the only king of Judah in 130 years to be listed as exclusively good. I would like to think that it was the seven years Jotham spent in co-regency co with his father, perhaps learning from his mistakes. If so, that's the kind of impact every nobody should have, including you and me. Remember that I began this sermon with a clip about the pride of General Cornwallis. Let's contrast that for just a moment with George Washington. As you likely know, I love history, and I love Revolutionary War history. Last year, I listened to an audio book about George Washington. It was called Washington, A Life by Ron Chernell. There's a point in the book in which he writes the following about Washington as commander-in-chief. This is what he writes about Washington as commander-in-chief. He says, Washington's job as commander-in-chief was as much a political as a military task, and he performed it brilliantly functioning as de facto president of the country. His stewardship of the army had been a masterly exercise in nation building. In defining the culture of the Continental Army, he had helped to mold the very character of the country, preventing the revolution from taking a bloodthirsty or despotic turn. In the end, in the end, Washington managed to foil the best professional generals that a chase in Great Britain could throw at him. And now listen to this. As Benjamin Franklin told an English friend after the war, I love this, 
An American planter was chosen by us to command our troops and continue during the whole war. This man sent home to you, to England, this man Washington sent home to England, one after another, five of England's best generals, baffled their heads, bare of laurels, disgraced, even in the opinion of their employers. Wow. I don't know whether Washington was humble or not. I hope so. But I do know that pride is a weakness and the root of many sins. Seek the Lord and seek humility. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We come to you thanking you, Lord, that you do not gloss over. You do not gloss over the sins of your people. We see right here the sins of Uzziah. We see right here what was Uzziah's downfall. Lord, may we learn from them. May we learn from them. And may we always confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you are the only Savior. May we always believe in you, trust in you, and commit to you. Lord, get through our pride. May we humbly bow before you. And if anyone here has never turned their life over to you as Lord and Savior, may today be, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you and to learn and do all that you say and arrange their affairs around you. Lord, help us all to arrange our affairs around you. Help us all to be followers of you, not fans. Help us all to make you Lord of our life. Our pride gets in the way. The world gets in the way. But when we self-sacrificially follow you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I invite Steve up for the, he's already up for the closing song. If anything has prompted your heart and you would like to come forward in prayer, these altars are open. If you come to the altar here on the right, on the right, we'll just, we'll just let you pray alone. You can just pray by yourself. If you would like somebody to come up and pray with you, come to this altar here on the left. Hey, Steve. Yes. I know you're here early today, but we talk about the war and the 